<laughs> you I'm good? La- <laughs> I'm laughing because mom is asleep on the couch and she's snoring and my mic is picking it up and I can see these tiny little waveforms. <laughs> I honest to God thought that was your dog. <laughs> Content warning. Emotional abuse. Come join the club. We are the Hello and welcome to the Magic Winks Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together every other week and recap the Italian Magical Girl series, Winks Club. I'm Brendan, Fairy of the Surging Sea. And I'm Tess, Fairy of the Rolling Stones. Today we are watching Fate the Winks Saga, Season 1, Episode 1, To the Waters and the Wild. This episode, along with the rest of the season, released on January 22nd of 2021. And this episode's teleplay was written by series creator Brian Young. Dude, I am so hype. This, uh, the title of this episode is a quote from The Stolen Child by W.B. Yeats, an 1889 poem that draws on Irish fairy folklore and describes a group of fae enticing a mortal child to come live with them in fairyland. The full quote is, Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. I can't possibly think this is plot related. What do you think it means? You're a wizard, Bloom. I'm a um, what? I'd say wrong franchise, but but no. Um, on the on the matter of Harry Potter references, I'm afraid to. As much as you know, she's a horrible woman. But this but this franchise draws so much from hers that it's almost impossible not to reference it. I mean, the show itself references it. Uh, so. I did some looking into the background okay. of the show. Okay. So apparently, Eugenio Strafi wanted to do a live-action Wings Club as early as 2011, which is when uh, Rainbow was acquired by Viacom. And, okay. But since he only had experience with animated products, he postponed the live-action until he was more experienced with the medium, and so he decided to start working on more live-action products. Huh. Uh, I did also want to try and talk about Musa and Tara. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For full transparency, we are both white. So, we welcome more informed points of view from listeners who are people of color. So, the first thing I want to specifically mention about Tara is that it has been confirmed that Flora exists in this universe, as does Tecna, and that there is a possibility of them showing up in season two or future seasons. Huh. Okay, cool. Second part. I feel like it was odd to replace Flora with a white actress, especially because apparently when Elliot Salt was first auditioning, the role was still named Flora. And it was only 
after she was cast that they changed the name to Tara. Huh. So I feel like there might have been some conscious effort that, you know, Flora is a prominent Latina character of children's media. So it's entirely possible that they wanted to keep that intact and decided to make this a different character. Uh, We can only hope that if and when Flora shows up, she is a Latinx actor. Yes. Uh, as for Musa, I I truly don't quite understand why they did not hire an East Asian actor to play her. The only thing that I can even think of as an excuse is that the casting was done almost entirely in the UK and Ireland. And as a matter of fact, uh, Abby Cowan, who plays Bloom, is the only American that they cast. But... That's also still a crock of bus because there are plenty of people of East Asian descent who live in the UK. So I feel I I cannot speak to the casting decisions that were made. Other than that, with the renaming of the role of Flora into Tara, that there was some effort put in to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't call this actress this character, and maybe they didn't want to do it twice. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. What are your thoughts on the matter? I, I, I have no strong feelings one way or another. Like, again, it is weird that Yuza is an Asian, but I've also seen Yuza played as an, by a non-Asian actress before. Specifically I, I, in the stage shows. Like, I'm not saying that it's right for her to not be an East Asian, or like any kind of Asian actor. But I'm... <sighs> no, I understand what you're saying. It's a weird subject. You will learn very quickly that uh, Tara is very near and dear to my heart. And I've only known her for about an hour and a half. And if anything happened to her, you would kill everybody in Althea and yourself. My felf? And yourself. <laughs> no, Um. Oh, we get a listener question. Yes, that was actually going to be my next question. <laughs> uh, I, we actually have two. Since two. after we updated our profile photo, they're both from Crest. Uh, I put out another call after we updated our uh, Twitter icon to be live action. That's a, I, I might actually make that my background. That's a cool photo. First question. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. Alright, so our first question... Oh, I feel like I have a speech... Oh, it's probably going to bite my tongue. Um, first question. From Crest. The question, if you will. If the show did not use the Winx Club setting and characters as its base, do you think the show would be better as its own thing? So... This... The specific wording here is what gives me pause. Because, in my opinion, a very large chunk of the fan base has unfairly judged this show without watching it. I can understand the uh, all of the uh, concerns, especially the ones regarding race, that we just tried to talk about regarding uh, Tara and Musa. But I also feel like the 
bulk of complaining about, you know, the setting not being exactly the same or the plot being slightly different. These are just the kinds of things that happen in adaptations of media. Right. You cannot get a six episode TV series out of the entire plot of season one. Now you can get two like hour and a half long or three hour and a half long movies out of it, as has been proven by the Nickelodeon recut specials. But at the same time, seeing the cartoon that we already love, but just in live action with no changes or no considerations made to the updated medium would be kind of boring to me. It would ring a little hollow, too, because they've been wanting to make a live-action show for about 10 years by this point, and the fans were excited. If it were exactly the same as the source material, it would be like they didn't care about evolving the show with the medium. Plus, it'd be a bit weird to see these 20-somethings acting like teenagers from the early 2000s. Would you want that? I don't want that. And, you know, the complaint about it not being glittery enough and not being... 2004 enough i mean like it or not we are in the year 2021 and this is just the kind of aesthetic that things have nowadays yeah modernization is an unfair mistress and the more we would complain about things not looking the way we remember them the more we sound like boomers we are both 27 years old when wings club came out in america we are both what 11 uh, yes. 10 or 11? I would have been 10, you would have been 11. We were the... at the end of the age range at the beginning of this show's career in the US. Everyone who watched this show as a kid when it was airing has grown up and is currently into different things. Like, this, for me, is one of the first YA, like, TV shows I've watched on my own in a long time. And spoilers, I'm really digging it so far. And I'm a noted enthusiast of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and this hits a lot of the same buttons as that does for me. To answer the second part of your question, or rather, the, to answer your question, do you think the show would be better as its own thing? I kind of feel like it is its own thing. If... A Marvel fan, you can either be a fan of the comic books or the movies or both of them, but you understand that they're both separate continuities. You get what I'm saying? I do. And I'd also like to point out the fact that if it was a wholly original YA concept, fine. But I'd argue that much like the Super Mario Brothers movie, there's too much from the source material that you can't just take it out and make it a new property this isn't a 50 shades of gray thing where somebody wrote well actually this would be kind of the opposite this isn't somebody's original story that they grafted wings club concepts onto to sell as a a licensed product this is something that was very concernedly made with the wings club uh core concepts and aesthetics and uh storytelling themes at its base. Does this that was, make sense to you? No, yeah, I totally get that. I liked this discussion that we had. Uh, this, uh, I was actually having a conversation, or a brief aside, really, 
with the GM of my tabletop campaign about media literacy. And this is sort of the this is sort of the core of media literacy is understanding basically the basics of TV production and understanding what it, what goes into creating a piece of media. It, it just ends up being fairly applicable. Thank you, Chris, for your first question, but you also have a second one. Ooh, surprise second question. I am so sorry. <laughs> question number two. Do you think they should have done a second school for the specialists instead of lumping them together? No. <laughs> Honestly, I like this approach. I'm I'm sorry for the bluntness. Um, It makes it a lot less awkward that they would keep running into each other. Because as far as we know, Althea and the specialist school and Cloud Tower in original Winx is either five miles away or 500 miles away. We have no idea. But meanwhile, we can tell in this setting that Althea and its specialist wing, like the fairy wing and the specialist wings of Althea are maybe 500 yards away. Althea is a college of magic in this setting. So we have the fairy wing and the specialist wing. The specialists, as we will see in a little bit, fighting. Offensive magic. Whatever. Fairy wing appears to be, again, this is from me watching the first episode, like, I don't know, 12 hours ago, is learning how to control your magic and use it for good? Question mark? (laughs) It seems to be just different areas of expertise. It makes more sense to me for evil to come out of the fairy school than for a third school specifically for evil. And then the specialists are over there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. It's it's much more interesting when the call is coming from inside the house. Also, co-ed, heyo! Yes, uh, that is my favorite part of this setting, is that both wings of Althea are fully co-ed. There are female specialists and there are male fairies. Oh, I want the female specialists to step on me. I know you do, sweetheart, but before we get there, we gotta, we gotta power through this opening. So this, uh... Thank you, Crest. Um, uh, Crest, thank you for your questions. They had a, a really good amount of, like, discussion quality to them. You can send short forward questions to our Twitter, at MagicWinksPod. Or, if you have longer questions, or, I don't know, fan theories, headcanons, those would be fun, you can send them over to our Gmail account, magicwinksclubhouse at gmail.com, the name of this podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Crest. You've facilitated a lot of really good discussion. So, with that out of the way, shall we get into the episode? Sure. Well, first things first, before the episode even starts... I noticed that this is rated TVMA for language and smoking. Yes, we are fully in a young adult series. This is going to be a little bit coarser, a little bit grittier, and a little bit uh, more swear words. This ain't your niece's Winx Club. Hmm. Uh, So with that in mind, this is also an hour of uh, Netflix television. So we are trying a 
new format where we are both going to be reading off of a sort of collaborated notes in order to make it so that I am not talking at Tessa for however long recording takes. I'm not good with plot notes. I just ha- I have a note literally here at the beginning that just says, oh, gross. Like, <laughs> okay. Episode one, we start on a cabin in the woods. No, not that one. <laughs> in the middle of the night where an old man comes outside because his sheep are making a whole lot of noise and he starts doing a head count. One of them is like weirdly off to the side, leaning against a rock. And this sheep apparently likes to hang out with another one. So he hears some twigs snap out in the woods and goes to investigate. And when he does, he passes through this magic wall that ripples blue when you walk through it. We got budget this time, folks. Quite a bit of Netflix money. It was a very cool effect. Um... Also, it's it's fun to note that our second line is an F-bomb. <laughs> well, as F-bomb as you can get while well, having a hard E in there. Our first line is mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first line is concerned sheep noise. In the deep dark woods, he sweeps his flashlight around and he pauses because something is dripping on his shoulder. And he looks up and sees a sheep carcass in the trees. <laughs> It's very oogie. This is my ogros. <laughs> and twigs start snapping around him. And when he turns around, he gets roared at. Something I liked is that they actually did like drip red stuff on him. So his flashlight is shining a bit of red. Yeah, they did some good corn syrup. Oh, yeah. And he books it back to his farm. But he trips at the finish line, right close to the barrier, not quite in it, and he starts crawling back towards the barrier, but he is captured. We hear him scream, have a shot of the lamb. As blood spurts on the sheep, by the way, it's that close. (laughs) Boom, title drop. (laughs) I like the title, by the way. There's no opening credits, there's just a... uh... Uh, it's, it's like a, a pair of wings that float through the five girls' elements under the word fate. And then underneath, uh, the Wink saga does show up, but it opens out. So Winks is the first thing you see underneath fate. Like most Netflix shows, the credits are at the end. After the title card, we are treated to an aerial view of Althea. Uh, this is Kill Ruddery House a country home outside the coastal town of Bray in County Wicklow, Ireland, which is on the east coast of the country. Hmm. Uh, This shot also has the barrier in full view, and it's like a big old transparent blue bubble uh, over the school. And this is when our soundtrack kicks in for the first time. We are very much in an indie pop sort of soundtrack uh, because our song is... And I only know this because the uh, <laughs> subtitles helpfully inform me that this is Kids in the Corner by Amber Van Day. It just says, Kids in the Corner by Amber Van Day begins playing. Oh, the entire time they will say Alfea. Because this is a cla- this is a cast that is... Actually, honestly, it's majority British. 
ish. There, but we'll get to that in a second. I was looking at my notes, seeing where they matched up. Um, all right, so we see Bloom. She's got her backpack and her luggage, walking through the gates of Alfia, where the camera pans over the crowd of gathered students. We have a shot of Tara with a tray of plants talking to a teacher, Stella taking a selfie with a group of girls with a magic light ball because, of course, it's magic. Aisha's walking across the courtyard, you can tell because she's the tallest one there. Musa is... Music, again, she's listening to her headphones. And Riven is doing some sick butterfly knife flips. Because he's edgy. Uh, So... Bloom pulls out her phone and she checks her reminder to meet Stella at the main gates. Uh, But I guess she doesn't know what Stella looks like because she just walked by her. (laughs) And so she's standing there just kind of lost. And this is when she gets approached by a blonde boy who is very obviously Sky, and makes a comment about how lost she looks. And then he starts negging her. I didn't like this. This was a really weird first interaction between our eventual love interests. So we're going to just kind of skim over it. Uh, but he does accurately guess that she's a fairy. And uh, uh, to be fair, it's a flip of the coin. <laughs> she certainly doesn't carry herself with the confidence you would expect of a specialist. Uh, and so when she says she's a fairy, she also starts like laughing because that's really weird for her to say still. And Sky asks what realm she's from, and she says she's from California. Not Earth, not Solar System, not the United States, just California. To, I mean, to Sky's credit, he does instantly recognize, oh, you're from the other, other world, aren't you? You're not from this world. You're from... They well, c- we'll, we'll learn that it's called the First World. Which... I guess you can make the, like, everything started there, but I guess at some point fairies and other magical creatures migrated to this other world. Possibly because of a meteorite impact that split the timeline where dinosaurs continued to exist and one where mammals lived. (laughs) I can't believe they're all lizards. (laughs) If I see one Yoshi, I'm leaving. <laughs> what if a what if a, a fungus hands bloom a ball? Trust the fungus bloom. Is that Tara? <laughs> yes. Bloom, trust the fungus. Uh, and this is where we should note that Bloom is the only character in the main cast that has American accent. She is actually the only uh, American actor in the production that I could find when I looked up all of our major characters. And it's really funny because you look it through and you see places like Hackney and uh, Cheltenham and London and then Gainesville, Florida. (laughs) Ah, yes. The mystical world of Florida. I mean... It is certainly another realm. Uh, also worth noting, I, I, I didn't look up uh, who plays Bloom's dad, Mike, but her mother is played by uh, an Irish actress doing a very good American accent. Uh, so uh, he, Sky realizes that he's just being a huge dick, 
and lets Bloom know that uh, she is currently walking towards the specialist hall and that she needs to turn around to go to the fairy one. Okay, cool. He's actually being helpful right now. We cut to Stella, now standing by the gates and looking very annoyed as Bloom and Sky talk. Bloom says she super completely knows what a specialist is, and Sky, realizing how completely out of her element she is, says he'd be happy to explain. Bloom cuts him off and says that it sounds like Sky's deal is mansplaining. And then Riven pops in, <laughs> who is still an asshole, but we'll get to it. And he and Sky just kind of bro out, and Bloom re- realizes Stella's there and goes over to speak with her. And uh, the first thing Bloom says is she's sorry for being impatient, and Stella says that's a very American quality. Uh, being impatient because Bloom was lost didn't know who Stella was, was kind of looking for her, got caught up with talking to someone, and now she's here. But... I'm gonna cut to the chase here. Stella is not a very pleasant person. Mm. So, a very important thing to note is that the girls do not start off as friends. They are five people who share a room who grow a friendship over the course of six episodes. They don't fucking know each other. So Stella is like very cold and very distant because she does not know Bloom from Eve. I feel like there's a difference between cartoon Bloom Bloom. A difference between cartoon Stella being social and this Stella being a socialite. There's also the very different circumstances they're meeting under. Bloom saves Stella's life in the cartoon. This is just uh, being assigned to be somebody's student orientation leader. We'll get to it. Uh, So they make some light conversation as Stella starts leading Bloom through the school. And I'm unsure if this is a set or if this is all shot on location in the building as well. I can tell you for certain that the... That the girl's suite is a set, but just just from the way it looks, that's a set. There's not enough room for that to actually be in this house. But this courtyard shot that we keep coming back to, I, I guess it's an atrium because there's a ceiling. This isn't a courtyard. It's the sweeping shot of Althea of this show. Yeah, we keep coming back to the atrium. So Bloom got to the other world in the first place by going through this uh, just through a magic portal because the other world needs to be kept secret from regular humans and I'm going to assume this has something to do with like in a lot of supernatural media where uh, fairies or other beings have escaped to a parallel reality it has something to do with like scientific advancement or the rise of uh, western religion making people hostile to the supernatural stuff like that Right. Uh, And then Stella says that if Bloom ever does want to visit home, uh, she flashes her ring, which... Okay, do you think this ring looks tacky or, like, just art deco? Because I think it's just art deco. I wouldn't want to get punched with it, that's for damn sure. It's a very large cocktail ring. Uh, And she says that this is a gateway ring, so it's not a staff. It's just... 
a portal maker. Okay. Of course, you need to make sure that you are looking at a white painted surface, and you need to put one portal on one angle and another portal on another angle. And if you put one on the floor and one on the ceiling, you'll fall forever. Thank you for making that reference because I was my mind immediately went to port keys. Uh, that's basically how Plume got here. So, no, no, she came through a door. She came through a fucking door. We will. Well, we'll I don't get think it's the. I don't think that's the same door she came here through. Uh, Considering she says it is, well, yeah, who knows? Maybe, we'll find out, maybe we'll find out, I don't know. Probably eventually. Also, Stella mentions that there are seven realms of the other world. And so, Solaria, we see, we cut to Bloom in the headmistress's office, and she's looking at a globe, Bloom is looking at a globe of the other world, and we see that Althea is in Solaria now. And Solaria appears to be a continent, or at least a very large country. It looks like it's a continent connected to Arachleon. So not a continent, but yeah, like half of a continent, and then Arachleon is the other half. Russia, if you will. Uh, and on the show's Instagram, they show that Lymphaea is that landmass that land to the south which is uh, Flora's home planet in the cartoon. So that's three out of seven. I do appreciate that. Cause it always felt weird to me that their home planets were just that planets and not like countries or whatever. Like, it's very weird to me that all of the main girls and then like, they're all from legitimately different worlds. Yeah, they're all, like, the magical dimension in the cartoon is a full functional universe, whereas here it just seems to be a parallel Earth. Uh, I'm going to imagine that the other landmasses are, like, Melody for Musa, Andros for Aisha, Zenith for Tecna, and Domino, but we're probably gonna, like, Domino is probably in Atlantis in this setting if we're following the show, and it's probably, like, under one of the oceans. And or I'm at gonna, one of the ice caps. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that that Melody and Andros are probably gonna have their names changed because they don't sound mystical enough. Andros works for me. It sounds vaguely Greek, actually. It is Greek. <laughs> You're right. It means it means man. <laughs> so I would imagine that we're gonna find out Aisha's. I hope she's still a princess, but she's. I'm gonna be shocked if we find. Andros on that map, and it's not some sort of archipelago or island chain. Right. We're in the headmistress's office, and our headmistress is now named Miss Dowling. Though later on, we, it will reveal that her first name is Farah. Is it a nickname for Farragonda? Because I totally... I totally made the joke of Miss Farragonda Dowling, and then later on, it's like, oh, Farah! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so Bloom examines a globe of the other world, as we discussed earlier. And Miss Dowling tells Bloom to think of Althea as her new home. And she and Bloom have a conversation that starts off with Bloom basically saying that she was surprised she didn't see a single pair of wings. Uh, Miss Dowling replies that transformation magic has been lost. 
and I got a Dragon Ball Z vibe. I mean, it's it's kind of like obvious that Bloom is going to rediscover transformation magic. It was in the fucking trailer. <laughs> Mark my words, she will have wings by episode six. <laughs> but yeah, Dragon Ball Z because of the uh oh, no one has been a Super Saiyan and since this Oh Goku, you're a Super Saiyan! Miss Dowling then says that classes are going to start tomorrow with the basics because Blue was a first year and also has just found out she's a fairy. And Bloom is hesitant of the fact that it's going to be a slow process. Miss Dowling says that learning to control her magic is essentially going to take some time because that's what everyone is here for, to learn control of their magic and get a diploma and get ready to go in the workforce because college! Bloom says she doesn't need a diploma or anything like that. She just is here to learn how to control her powers. And then we get a counterpoint from Miss Dowling saying that Bloom is here because she knew she had no other choice. Uh, this is where we scene change to the girl's suite. Where Bloom is FaceTiming her parents, which I think is kind of a, a cute touch. And uh, Vanessa immediately asks if Bloom has made any friends. And, she, and Bloom's like, I've been here for 10 minutes, Mom. It's hour one of day one. Do you know who I am? And uh, with five girls in an enclosed space, it's only a matter of time before they descend to Lord of the Flies anarchy. It's five girls in an enclosed space. It's only a matter of time before we descend into a lesbian situation. Uh, Vanessa encourages Bloom to be social and not lock herself in her room. And that's when Aisha walks in, since uh, she's going to be Bloom's roommate now. So Vanessa asks, like, you know, some basic stuff that any parent would ask about a dorm room, like, what's the view? And Bloom says that the first years get pretty terrible ones. And uh, Vanessa's like, well, even the worst view of the Alps has to be better than, you know, even the greatest view of Gardenia. Wait a minute! (laughs) And Aisha looks pretty surprised to hear the word Alps. And then, uh, so Mike pipes up and says it's pretty bright, uh, given the time difference between California and Switzerland. So uh, Aisha swoops in to save the day by, uh, she she swoops over, she starts flicking Bloom's lamp on and off and says it's time for lights out. Quick uh, set note. I paused the episode to make a quick note of something else. And I noticed that Aisha's half of the room is very aquatic themed. She has a lot of motivational posters. She has some motivational posters. I would be surprised if you just turn the camera a little to the left and you just see a cat with a hang in there. Um, <laughs> she has like six pairs of swim goggles and a swim club di- diploma on the wall. Some sort of certificate award, like, you know. Way to go swimming. I don't. <laughs> Princess of Aisha of Andros, good at swim. <laughs> Bloom thanks Aisha for getting her out of that situation so she's a lifesaver and Aisha jokes that she's getting on Bloom's good graces before the Lady of the Flies action starts because earlier Mike said Lady of the Flies don't be sexist and I'm like fuck you Mike mm. Aisha then asks Bloom why her parents think she's in the Alps and apparently this means Aisha knows what the Alps are. It seems like people in this world have a, a a familiarity with the way things work on Earth. So it's probably like, you know, 
they can visit. They come and go as they please. They're fair folk. They come out of a tree. Or like, you know, you like, you walk through a door in the other world and then you are walking out of like, like a random building in New York City. You know what I mean? Or like a restroom at a mall. Yeah, somewhere completely out of the way where it's not unusual to see like just a random person kind of like start walking around like they own the place because they just came out of the bathroom. So of course they're allowed to be here. I just took a great poo! (laughs) Bloom then drops the bombshell that her parents don't know she's a fairy and they just think Althea is a prestigious international boarding school in Switzerland. And Aisha's surprised and confused that Bloom's parents are muggles when she is a wit- Wait, damn it! <laughs> they make this comparison. Not comparison, but like, eh. And Bloom says that Headmistress Dowling explained that she's basically a Dungeons and Dragons sorcerer. There's a fairy somewhere in her family tree and- Bloom just kind of got the recessive trait of red hair and also magic, I guess. To be fair, if I was in the situation, I would react the exact same way. And Bloom laughs about how ridiculous this all sounds. Aisha then asks Bloom if she's the one person in the universe who's never read Harry Potter. So we're going to be making Harry Potter references. They then snark at each other about houses. Um, apparently, Bloom has taken hundreds of Sorting House quizzes, and she is a Ravenclaw Slytherin cusp, and Aisha didn't deny that she's a Gryffindor. And then Bloom's off to see Stella. So uh, Stella is doing that thing where you hold up a new set of clothes to see how they, to like, you know, she's pondering what she should wear to the party. And Bloom is kind of shocked that Stella's changing for just what, it turns out to be a bunch of people standing around in the atrium socializing and milling about throughout the day. It, it doesn't seem to be like any set uh, schedule. Just kind of do what you want for the first day. Get to know each other. And Stella says that she has already been seen in her current outfit and that people expect her to care about her appearance. Uh, then she summons another light ball to uh, basically be a lamp. And uh, when Bloom asks her how she did it, Stella says she's a mentor, not a tutor. And Bloom makes a face at this, because that's kind of like a really cold and, uh, you know, dismissive answer to somebody who does not know what magic is, really, or have a good grasp of it. I'm here to help you out. I'm not here to help you out. I'm I'm here to get you adjusted, not teach you. So Bloom obviously makes a face of that, and Stella explains that one of the first things that Bloom is going to learn is that fairy magic is linked to emotion, positive or negative, but the stronger the emotion, the stronger the spell. Righteous Fury, you get to launch a fireball. Unbridled Joy, you fly. Boundless Confidence is super strength. Thank you. Uh, so Bloom asks if... Stella has a negative reaction to her since Stella was looking at her when she summoned the light ball. And Stella just is very blunt about it and says she does not know Bloom at all, but is sure she'll find something to like about her. All right, so Stella walks into the common area of their shared suite. Emphasis on shared because Tara is covering the room in plants because there's a giant window. 
Stella responds, this is a shared space. That's not unfair to point out. I mean, if I had a bay window, I would want to sit in there and, like, read a book. That's just me. And that might also not be the right uses of bay window, but whatever. I didn't go to school for architecture. <laughs> There's a bit of a back and forth about the message of the book, The Secret Garden, and I've never <laughs> read it, so. But Tara's, like, at the end, Tara relents and takes some plants back to her and Musa's room, because Tara and Musa are sharing the room, and surprise, surprise, Stella has a room all to herself. So, Musa... Does music come in, or... I think Musa was already... She was already there. Musa somethings, and responds with a little snarkiness about Stella's attitude, and Tara defends Stella by saying that she's just poking fun. And Brendan... Uh, Tara's a little ball of sunshine and I love her. You were right. I will die for her. And she also does this little uh, tongue click. I don't know if the mic picked that up. Like a little tisk. Like when you see the words T, the letters T-S-K, like in a, um, a word bubble, that's the sound we're thinking of. She does that when she's upset. In a bit of a, a I, I can't remember if this is a non sequitur or not. Tara bringing up that being an earth fairy who loves plants is a bit cliche, but it runs in her family. She has a cousin named Flora. Bah? Her mom's name is Rose, and her dad works at the Alfia Greenhouses, which is why she knows some of the people here already, like Stella, a second year. Musa is rightfully surprised that a second year is with a bunch of freshies. And Tara is like, I should not have said that. And tries to cover it up. Musa gives Tara a look and her eyes flash purple. Something to note in this setting is that when you do magic, your eyes light up in a corresponding color. We've been introduced to six types of fairy so far. Uh, Musa, as we'll learn, is a mind fairy and that's linked to the color purple. Uh, Stella is a light fairy, so her eyes turn yellow. Tara is an earth fairy, so her eyes turn green. Aisha is a water fairy, her eyes turn blue. Bloom is a fire fairy, so her eyes are red. And uh, they're air fairies. We haven't gotten a shot of them doing the eye change color thing. But we do meet an air fairy character a little bit later. But I would assume that their color is probably like white or gray. Tara tells Musa to just forget she said anything about Stella being a second year. Musa goes to put her headphones on. Which, in my world, is key for don't fuss. Talk to me. But whatever. Uh, Tara, trying to like pass out an olive branch, if you will, offers a succulent, saying that it seems fitting based on first impressions. It's very easy to take care of, low maintenance. What could be better? And this made me really want to buy a succulent. And I do want to point out that in this scene, like, when Tara starts talking, Musa makes a face, but it's not an annoyed face or anything. It's it's that kind of, like, anxious expression that uh, a lot of autistic people make uh, when they start to get overstimulated. 
it's a very like desperate anxiety sort of please get me out of this situation face i would like to be anywhere but here i'm falling through the floor falling through the door flying across the floor when you look at me suddenly it's clear you're burning up my dreams crazy as it seems do the dinosaur it's it's a Hillary Duff song, you uncultured swine. Uncultured? What was the last time she put out music? It's from her hit 2004 album Metamorphosis, which you would know if you weren't a rube. Actually, I think it's 2009. Who's the rube now? <laughs> I'm seeing two different sides. I'm seeing get me out of here anxiety and why can't I stop talking anxiety? Both are very relatable. Yeah, uh, Musa relents and takes the plant on the one condition that Tara will stop talking. When she notices that Tara's feelings were very much hurt by that, she says she's just poking fun and takes it before shoving her headphones back onto her head. Tara realizes that she may have made a mistake in offering a succulent, so goes to offer Musa another plant, but is interrupted by Aisha who overheard that Tara grew up around Alfea. So, Aisha is the one who gets pe- who gives people outs. Basically, yeah. Tara immediately brightens up because it finally feels like someone is interested in something that she knows about. But after she says she grew up around the school, Aisha asks if there's a pool. Because she swam in the river, and she said it was lovely, she would prefer a pool. Tara is a little surprised that Aisha's already been swimming. And Aisha responds with, she swims twice a day. So Tara says that the closest thing to a pool is a pond in the specialist's training field, but no one swims there on purpose. And then we cut to see someone swimming there not on purpose. Yep, somebody gets knocked in the drink because it's time to visit the specialists and see a bunch of people sparring. And this is our first view of the school being co-ed because there are a bunch of women in these sparring matches. A lot of small women. Uh, I mean, like, small in stature, not... Yeah. It's not just, like, stereotypical Amazons. No, this is, like, any girl can be a specialist. And uh, we cut in to focus specifically on Sky and Riven. And... Notably, kind of like the cartoon, Sky's got a long sword. Uh, these they're like kendo sticks. So Sky's got a long sword, and Riven has uh, like twin Nerf swords. It's actually kind of funny. <laughs> it's Nerf or nothing, dude. So uh, Sky, like they, this is obviously them continuing a conversation that they've been having while doing this. And uh, Sky is talking about how, like, when he interacted with Bloom, he was he got a vibe off of her. And Riven cracks a joke about Sky going after the crazy ones. When Sky asks Riven how he knows Bloom's crazy, since he's never even met her, Riven counters that all gingers are crazy. Because he's an updated kind of asshole, and I can kind of appreciate that. He's an asshole with a mission. He's not an asshole with no motive. So Sky ends up uh, kicking Riven flat on his back and asks if Riven did like did anything over the summer and this is the cringiest piece of dialogue in the entire episode ribbon did you get slow over the summer nah man i got high oh my gods ribbon 
packs his stuff and just basically ditches class and asks Guide and try and not get him expelled and to distract the professor. Based on the general demeanor, facial hairstyle, you're like, oh, Professor Codatorta, the dragon whatever. No, this is Professor Silva. And based on interactions with Headmistress Dowling, it's safe to assume he's the head of specialist training. Silva is lecturing a group of presumably first years about finding their specific skills and honing them, and says that eventually they'll probably be able to fight like Sky, who is walking by. Silva then surprise attacks him, and they do a quick spar. Sky gets defeated. Professor Silva gets the point, but whatever, they're all still in school. And Sky says that Silva is even a better fighter with advanced warning. And Silva retorts with, you favor your left side. Sky leaves, and Silva goes back to being Mr. Professor Pants. He says that while Sky is a legacy admission, he still showed up on the first day and put in the work. So Professor Silva expects the same from all the newbies, whether they're third generations of missions, they're there because their family pushed them into it, or they were recruited to be Grey Wardens. He then goes into a lecture about how the specialists are the first line of defense, and one of the first years does a little laugh under his breath. Meet Dane! Dane is one of our new characters, and Silva asks him, what's so funny? And Dane says it seems silly to talk about preparing for the future in a castle full of kids with swords. So Silva reveals why the barrier exists in the first place. To protect Althea from creatures called the Burned Ones. And uh, to prove our, to just like, you know, some uh, dramatic irony, Riven walks through the barrier as this is explained. Uh, Silva asks Dane if he's seen to burn one before, and apparently nobody Dane's age has. And that's kind of his point with all this. The battle against them should be over. And that's when Silva asks, well, what if it isn't? What would you do if you saw a burned one? And he was 10 when he saw one for the first time. He and his dad were gathering firewood. They heard like this telltale rasp sound they make. And his father shot it in the head, but that didn't drop it. Uh, burned ones are like fire zombie lizards, apparently, based on the one we see later. Uh, they have inhuman strength and speed. And if they uh, cut you with their claws or presumably bite you, they transmit an infection that turns their victim into a new burned one. Flaming vampire xenomorphs, basically. <laughs> And Silva had to mercy kill his father to stop him from turning into a burned one. He tells Dane to be thankful he's never seen one, and if he ever does, pray that it kills him so the people he loves won't have to. And during this lecture, uh, Riven has snuck into the woods to light up a doobie, and no sooner than he exhales some dank weed smoke does he realize he has stumbled across the body of the farmer from the start of the episode. It's TVMA! The next scene immediately begins with Dowling, Silva, 
and Tara's dad, Ben, examining the body of the farmer. Dowling and Silver are like, maybe it was a bear or a wolf or a wolf bear. Maybe a bear wolf. No, I I read the Earth King's letter again. It just says bear. Are are you sure you didn't mean like a a duck bear? Or a platypus bear? No, it it just says bear. But Ben, and it's going to be weird saying Ben... Because it just sounds like another kid, but no, it's Tara's dad. Takes a sample from one of the wounds on the farmer's body and reveals that it is full of char. Char being something related to fire. How pertinent was your lecture, Silva? Very. Silva asks Dowling how long it's been since the last burned one sighting. She replies, about two decades, and Ben replies, about 16 years. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, wait a minute, what else happened about 16 years ago? So, okay, so Dowling, some alarms raise in Dowling's head. And she says that it couldn't have been a burned one, because someone named Rosalind supposedly destroyed all of them. Ben counters that with supposedly all of them. And Dowling's like, no, clean this up, we can't have rumors starting. Immediately rumors start. (laughs) Uh, Tara uh, Tara is right away gossiping to Musenaish about the body. And she's like, well, what if maybe he died of old age? And um, Musa says, yeah, that that old age decapitation will really get up to you. (laughs) Happened to Aisha's grandma, bingo. Just flop, flop, flop right down the table. That is the standout joke of this episode. (laughs) That's how I want to go. Old age decapitation. So uh, Tara is not amused by this. And Aisha starts loading up her napkin with cookies because they're standing around one of the snack tables. (laughs) And I mean, fucking mood, am I right? It's true. <laughs> and Musa's like, whoa, that's a lot of sugar. Aisha reveals that she eats a ton of calories because she swims like twice a day. So you need all those calories to be able to do that. And Musa gets what she means because Musa used to be a dancer. And Aisha also makes like this offhand comment that if she didn't swim, she'd be massive. Which like, Tara seems to take that as an insult. But to me, it seems rude considering the company, but it doesn't seem malicious. Because, I mean, it's not wrong. Uh, and then Aisha, like, like her watch beeps, and she's due for her second swim of the day, so she excuses herself. And that's when Tara confronts Musa about uh, the earlier scene in the dorm room. Because, like, Musa perked up when Aisha was talking. So, uh, she, so Tara's like, hey, you heard Aisha through your headphones, but you couldn't hear me? And Musa is like, okay, no, 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 it's not that. She just wears them when she doesn't feel like talking. And Tara goes, okay, but that happens a lot around me, it seems. It's been four hours. Yeah, Musa starts to explain herself, but Tara's gotten herself all worked up and excuses herself from the conversation. 
And Musa just makes this face and and says, "You know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put the headphones back on." And uh, that's when Ben walks through the party with the sample from earlier in a handkerchief. And Tara is looking for any out she can find. Uh, so she asks if he needs help in the greenhouses, and Ben tells her, no, 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 you're not hiding in the greenhouse. You're going to go mingle, and you're going to like it, young lady. <laughs> so she just kind of ambles off. So we transition to a secretary shuffling some suspiciously silky papers. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, according to the end credits, I didn't catch this until after I made my notes. This character's name is apparently Callum. Callum? Callum. How very British. Incredibly so. Or French, comp- depending on what fucking Pokemon game you play. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's Callum. This is Callum. And in Spain, Callum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we transition to a secretary shuffling some papers around. As Brendan said earlier, his name is Callum. And a new character walks into the office. Meet Beatrix, who is very cute, but her hair is kind of horrible. She has a European beer hall made hair. She will serve me beer in a stein. She'll be an au pair for, her, for your European children. Uh, and if you couldn't tell by the name, she is our tricks of the season. So she knocks on Miss Dowling's door, which is when we then learn that this is the office for the office. And Callum says that the headmistress is busy because the door is closed. And Beatrix just says, oh, I'll take a water, thanks. So she is already pushing buttons. So Dowling opens the door after Beatrix knocks again. And Beatrix immediately begins kissing us. Like says, hey, I love you. You're fucking great. Oh, I'm so sorry. I swore I shouldn't have said that. Bus, bus. Did it again. Sorry. Uh, that's going to be a pain for me to edit. <laughs> so Beatrix tries to save face by saying she's obsessed with Alfea's history and Miss Dowling in particular. And Miss Dowling replies, maybe you should study more of it at the library because I have stuff to do because I am a headmistress. And you are a first year. <laughs> and you are un infant. Uh, as a point of notes, uh, Sadie Soverall, who plays Beatrix, is the youngest member of the main cast. At she was 18 when her scenes were filmed. At 12. She looks 12. She, she is very youth. It's not helped by the fact that she has those big doe eyes. She She's very petite, so she looks far younger than she actually is. Which, funnily enough, means she very reliably passes for a 16-year-old. I keep forgetting, like, I forgot that you mentioned this, but yeah, they feel like they should be in, like, 18 or 19 age, not 16. I had this note later, but I'll just say it now. Uh, Bloom's mom says it's okay to not be okay, you're only 16, and excuse me, ma'am, this woman is 24. (laughs) 
I'm 16, Daddy. I'm practically an adult. No, you're 24 and you are an adult. You pay taxes. <laughs> Funnily enough, on Sabrina, they tried to make her look younger by giving her a similar European uh, au pair braid. <laughs> when Dowling slams the door in Beatrix's face, that's our hard cut. And Bloom is making notes about her powers and all of the stuff she's learned so far. Making and, very poor use of that page, young lady. And this is when she has like a like a flashback, like a random flashback. Like I guess the kind of way you do when you're trying to focus on something else and then your brain goes, hey, you said something embarrassing in fifth grade. Do you want to relive that moment? No, thanks. Uh, Too bad. So uh, Vanessa yanks open Bloom's bedroom door and tells her, hey, maybe you should get out of the house. It's Saturday. Like, get out of your room. Get out of the house, even. And Bloom, like, instantly goes on the defensive and says she went out earlier. And Vanessa's like, please, just like a movie, a party, just somewhere that's not a rummage sale or an antique store. You expect me to be invited to parties, Mom? Yeah, Bloom asks why Vanessa wants her to be basic. And Vanessa throws back, it's better to be basic than a weird loner. And Bloom is rightfully shocked that her mother would say that to her. Real talk. Both of us were weird loners in high school. This whole scene smacks of emotional abuse. My mother would never have told me to go to a party if I didn't want to. My mother would never tell me that my hobbies are invalid. What the fuss? I don't like how they write Vanessa. And this scene and the next scene featuring her are so drastically different from the scene featuring her near the end of the episode that I don't know if the right hand was not talking to the left about the characterization they wanted to give or what's going on, or if it's just a honeymoon period in the cycle of emotional abuse. But this is not okay, and it's only going to get more not okay. Oh, God, like... I don't... God! This was so uncomfortable. This this flashback ends when... uh, Bloom tells Vanessa to examine why she has so little going on in her life that she's obsessed with how Bloom spends hers. And then she slams the door in her mother's face, and that ends the flashback. I'm just... It's oogie, dude. Like, I can't even imagine... My mom and I could not have been more different when we were the same... when we were both in high school. At separate times, obviously. Mm-hmm. My mom was on the swim team. She was a cheerleader. I was a theater kid who liked anime. I was a fat theater kid. (laughs) The more I think about it, the more upset I am. Let's stop thinking about it. Well, uh, Bloom is just as as upset as you are at this. And, uh, like, her eyes are doing the red glow. And she has, like, started burning the page. After she realizes... Oh god, I'm smoldering my notes. She heads out to the party in a very cute jacket, by the way. And the scene is now as close to day for night as you can get. 
well, being late afternoon, because it's late afternoon. So she runs into Sky, and because he is a familiar face, she asks, where can I go to be alone? No people, somewhere beyond the barrier. And Sky tells her that there are lions and tigers and bears out there, but there aren't people. And she tries to dip. He responds. He stops her by saying, no, 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 no. You don't get it. It's bad out there and you shouldn't go alone. Oh, I didn't notice how big this paragraph was. Mm-hmm. Bloom compliments him on not using a horrible pickup line, but Sky is like, no, this is not a pickup line. This is dangerous. And you shouldn't go alone. Do you trust me? And Bloom replies, maybe one day. Because I just met you, my dude, and you were kind of a dick when we first spoke. (laughs) So Stella materializes out of nowhere and asks to talk to Skye. So Stella and Skye go off to talk, leaving Bloom alone. The one who is very open to running out into the wilderness to maybe get eaten by a Gru. (laughs) (laughs) And Stella says, oh, I haven't seen you all day. And Skye responds, I haven't seen you all summer. What the hell? (laughs) Stella's like, that's my sweet mate. And this basically starts a tiff because Stella is jealous and Skye is acting like they broke up so she has no right to be caring about who he talks to or obsessing over who she talks to. So Skye hands back a drink that she he that she handed him and leaves. And Stella looks around and is basically like what, you've never seen two people argue? And everyone just kind of looks away. That was a very organic moment to me because I feel like that's happened to us before we've been on the sidelines of like some weird fight at like like a domestic at the mall. <laughs> this is not your day. This is my day. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 bad parenting at the local Greek restaurant. <laughs> I almost feel like that wasn't scripted. I mean, it probably was, but... So then we cut to outside the school, and uh, Aisha is actually swimming in the river, and she gets a she gets to see Bloom walk through the barrier, and she, like, peels her goggles off and has a what-the-hell-is-she-doing look on her face. Oh, no, uh, it's dangerous. Uh, Bloom walks through the woods and she finds this like rainbow sprite because the other world is trying to give a sense of whimsy. And once she's in the middle of these really pretty trees, honestly, uh, Ireland has some gorgeous forests. Uh, she tries to think some good thoughts so she can summon fire. And because if there's anything associated with fire, it's good thoughts. Happy thoughts, Bloom. Happy thoughts. Uh, after a few tries, like she's like breathing hard and like holding out her hands, like fire, and nothing's happening. Like when you were a kid and you're like trying to make like a magic bomb or whatever, or like a Kamehameha wave or whatever. Lightning bolt. 
Stick to snakes. So uh, after after it doesn't work, she takes her phone out and starts looking through her camera roll for, you know, something that'll make her happy, but she's not finding much. She finds sad selfies. And she goes, ooh, yeah, sad childhood, not much. Not much to use that. Or, no. She goes, ooh, sad teenage years. Mm. And then she finds pictures of a burned out house. Why did she take these pictures? Insurance purposes. Why is it on her phone? Insurance purposes. What is she doing with the insurance? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe her parents' phones got destroyed in the fire. You don't know. <laughs> so uh, she's like flipping through these pictures, and she like zooms in on like some like random stuff that doesn't get damaged in a fire. You know how that works. Insurance purposes. <laughs> and uh, she's getting worked up while she looks at this stuff. But then uh, she realizes, hey, you know what? This might, I could probably use this. So she uh, holds out her hand and she summons fire. Fire! And it's very good fire effects. It is. Oh, it's so cool. It's very well, like, I don't know who's responsible for the fire effects in this show, but they are fantastic. So far, there have not been many special effects. Like, we've had, like, oh, the barrier or people's eyes glowing. They don't use a lot of them, but when they do, they are very well done. <laughs> Stella casting the novice level alteration spell Candlelight to summon a ball of light for 60 seconds that illuminates your immediate surroundings. So Bloom is, like, super jazzed that she can make fire, and she can make it, like, bigger and hotter. And then she realizes she can't put it out. So she starts to panic and is, like, shaking her hands to try and cool them off, but all she's doing is, like, splashing fire onto the dry leaves on the ground. It does that thing when, like, that you're not supposed to do at a gas station if someone takes the gasoline out when there's a fire and it just sprays all over the place when you hold a hairspray up to a candle uh and this is when aisha comes in and uh bloom panics more because there's a person here and there's not supposed to be people and aisha says like calm down because it's only like if bloom gets more scared or more angry it's only gonna get worse okay good tell the girl on fire to calm down. Like, I get it, but... And uh, Bloom yells at her to go away. And she, like, does that thing where you, like, throw your hands down to make a point. Like, fists oh, no, at her side. Oh, no, more fire. Yeah, this, like, line of fire starts running right for Aisha. And, like, Bloom... Bloom has, like, a mini panic thing, and she tells Aisha to run. But this is where we get to see Aisha use her powers. And she, like, crouches down and puts her hand on the forest floor. And, like, the ground is wet. And she makes this huge wall of water to extinguish the fire. And, like, just turns it all into steam. Aww. It's really good. Uh, and then we get a bonding moment. That is... Mm. Not great. <laughs> oh, it, it ends horribly. Okay, so... Back at school, 
after Bloom has had a little time to, pun intended, cool off. Bloom and Aisha are arguing about what the fuss happened. Bloom is convinced that Aisha shouldn't have been out there, and Aisha replies with, you had no idea what you were doing. You're lucky I was there. Bloom is like, I'm out of my element here. I don't have fairy parents. The only time before this that I did magic, bad things happened. So they have a little bit of a heart-to-heart, sitting on a bench, because where else would you have a heart-to-heart? And Aisha says, when my powers manifested, I flooded my secondary school, which is, for all intents and purposes, middle school, after I did bad on a math test. Surprise, she didn't say maths. Mm-hmm. And there's a joke in here about swimming through feces. Wading through it, because the toilets exploded. Yeah, toilets, water fountains, sinks, uh, sprinklers. It was a mess. So now it's time for Bloom's tragic backstory. And more, more highly uncomfortable parenting. Okay, so we go back to... The same day that Bloom had the argument with her mom and she slammed her door. She's working on fixing a stained glass table lamp, which she actually brought with her to Althea. It's on her desk. When she hears a power tool going off because like she had headphones on, she turns around and um, Mike is taking the door off the hinges to her room. This is, this is, this is high levels of emotional abuse. It's very uncomfortable. It makes me feel some type of way. Bloom is absolutely furious that Vanessa is taking away the privacy of a room for slamming her door. And she kind of turns to her dad and he just replies, you need to be more open with us. And then Vanessa does that thing that parents like to do sometimes where she's like, yeah, talk back to me. The more you talk back, the longer you'll have you'll be without a door. So hit me. More open about what? The fact that I'm frustrated with living with you? Anyway, Bloom is understandably f- furious. And it's not just a 16-year-old, I'm a child and don't know how to feel about emotion. I would be pissed off too. Yeah, grown adult Brendan would have things to say. Anyway, Bloom can't sleep because she is so angry. And then... It switches on. A line of fire forms at her feet and goes right to her parents' bedroom like she laid down a line of gasoline and lit a match. And it specifically targeted Vanessa and set their bed on fire. Which is those pictures for the insurance claim. (laughs) Mike is screaming for help and Bloom is obviously very worried about her parents because, oh my god, I'm about to kill my parents. How the frick do I stop this? And it cuts to silence. We can see Bloom screaming. And we're now back at the present. 
turns out that because she was specifically targeted by magic fire, Vanessa got covered in third degree burns. And I mean, I'd argue that's more her fault for provoking a bear, but you know what? Bloom's guilty about it, and that's what matters. Uh, she was so terrified of what she would do if her mom did more emotional abuse uh, that she would hurt her again. So she would sneak out at night and she slept at an abandoned warehouse near her home. And that's where Dowling found her. And Aisha's like, oh, damn. Uh, yeah, that story's way worse than mine. And she asks if Bloom's parents ever suspected that she was responsible for the fire. And Bloom responds that she doesn't know how distant her fairy ancestors are, but the most, like, magic her parents believe in is knocking on wood. And that's kind of confusing, because Bloom was able to do, like, really, really big magic with barely even trying, which is not something that somebody from a dormant bloodline should be able to do. And then asks Bloom if she's adopted. And then Bloom says something that's, like, actually downright chilling. She she just laughs and she goes, no, 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 I've heard this story a million times. Like, I had a congenital heart defect in utero, but after I was born, it healed. It disappeared, like, a day later. Uh-oh. And I was just like, oh, God, you're a changeling. And uh, this, I thought this was good. I was like, oh, I like this, actually. I like this a lot. This is good, like, reference to, like, the dark stuff of fairy lore. Because, and I guess Bloom has never read anything about fairies in her life before because she asks what a changeling is. To, to be fair, I didn't know what a changeling was either. I mean, I guess it, it doesn't really show up with, unless you've got like an interest in like old school fairy tales. It's a mockingbird situation. Cuckoo. That's the bus. A changeling is a fairy baby who has been swapped for a human one. And this is considered like like this barbaric ancient practice that is, it, it doesn't happen anymore. Bloom is shook and she goes, no, that's impossible. And Aisha goes, look into your heart, Bloom, you know it to be true. But with as much power as Bloom's described and with the uh, forest fire incident that almost happened, Bloom has to be a pure-blooded fairy. And uh, Bloom is like, I would know if my parents weren't my parents. Why would you say something like this just to hurt me? And she storms off. And as she does, she like shoulder checks Musa out of the way. And uh, Musa's like, what the hell did you say to make her that angry? And Aisha reveals that she told Bloom the truth because somebody has been lying to her. And as she says this, the camera cuts straight to Dowling as an ominous chord plays. I wonder who's been lying to her. Uh, Dowling pours herself a cup of tea. And then she, like, looks at the door to her office, like, flicks her wrist and the door shuts. And then she does another gesture that makes a bookcase pull back to reveal a secret passage. Um, According to the Instagram, Dowling is a mind fairy. And I'm guessing this telekinesis thing is something all mind fairies can do. Chris Angel, mind fairy. Back at the party, because it's, I don't know if it's a, it's a weird party. I think it might just be more like they set up, like, refreshments in the, in the atrium, and people just mill about as they want. We got snacks in the quad. Pretty anyway, much. Anyway, Riv, 
Riven is being a bad boy and is just... He pulls a flask out of his pocket because, ooh, he's a bad boy. And there's alcohol, it, presumably, in there. So he looks up and sees Dane. And Dane has a drink. They make eye contact for a little bit. And then Dane looks away. And Riven's like, hey, you want a drink? And Dane's like, oh, I have one. And Riven's like, nah, 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 nah. And then he just empties his flask into Dane's delicious looking orange punch and calls him the P word. You're either essentially a wuss or a reformed wuss. Dane's like, well, I, thank you, and takes a sip. So he it's clearly vodka. Magical vodka. If not something stronger. Magical grain alcohol. Magical ethanol. Dane takes a sip and kind of chokes it down because it's, just, it's, it's strong. And he tries to get Riven to friggin' scoot and everyone's like hazing him and forces Dane to drink the rest of the glass where are the chaperones anybody there's no supervision but thankfully Tara's over to the side because well dad told me to bingle so I might as well stay here and gives Riven a dressing down about bullying first years Riven's like Hey, I can't bully someone who's willing. And Dane doesn't get it. Tara tells Dane to ignore Riven since he thinks he's just some badass when he was a nerdy kid last year. Riven calls her fat, in as many words. And Tara goes off. This scene had to have some sort of. Like you had to, you had to be feeling the revenge fantasy here, weren't you? Oh. <laughs> I implore you, if you watch anything, well, first of all, watch this show. But <laughs> she goes off on a monologue. I say monologue. So she's going off on how people think they can treat the big girl like garbage, but she's had a really bad day. And Riven's a scrawny little asshole to the wrong thing at the wrong time. And Riven is just like, whatever, leans up against the pole, and Tara uses her magic to make the decorative ivy start strangling him and holds him up for a little bit. And she just lets it go for a little bit, long enough to get a small crowd coming. She makes him wiggle on the hook. <laughs> Dance for me, chicken man. <laughs> uh, when she finally lets Riven go he calls her a freak and says she could have killed him and Tara just goes I missed you too and then Riven slinks away tail between his legs and Tara and Dane have their first had their official meeting and, apologi and Tara apologizes for the poor first impression Dane says thank you and now I need to vomit. She takes him to a trash can. 
This is adorable. It's a very good friend meet cute. So back in back in the dorm room, Bloom is researching changelings on her phone, and she's pretty freaked out by what she's found. Real quick, and this is just a tech issue for me. Bloom is on 4G. So she's using her mobile data. Get on the school's Wi-Fi. I doubt the other world has the same infrastructure for Earth for their mobile data. Mm-hmm. So, like, Bloom has to put the phone down after a little bit because she's just looking at, like, paintings of changelings that are all kind of freaky. But, like, we get one that kind of looks like Cronus eating his child or something. So Bloom puts down, like, her phone and she picks up the picture of her parents. And Stella interrupts her. And Stella has, like, a, a genuine moment with Bloom here that is... It's a very interesting mix of emotional vulnerability and manipulation. She sympathizes with Bloom being homesick, and re- and she says that if her mother did not make her go to Elphia, she would not. She would just stay home and have a normal life, and she tells Bloom there is no shame in feeling that way. I would go to normal school and have normal friends, but here I am at magic school with magic people, and it sucks. I think in this case, Stella is referring more to the fact that Alfia seems to be some kind of prep school. She's like, I wouldn't go to somewhere this, like, high profile. I would go to, like, a regular school. Like, a regular magic school. And have regular magic friends. (laughs) There's public school, private school, and then there's super private school. Yeah, Alfia is definitely a private school compared to whatever public... Uh, magical education exists in the other world. So the next thing we see after this, after like Stella gets vulnerable, is Musa and Aisha walking into the suite for the evening. Uh, Bloom has apparently been ignoring Aisha's texts, uh, and Aisha points out that Bloom poured her soul out, and Aisha called her a freak. <laughs> Bloom poured her soul out, and Aisha said, oh, you're a demon. So Stella's on the sofa, and she's doing more light selfies and Aisha asks if she if she's seen Bloom uh, Stella responds the negative and then Musa does some Professor Xavier eye scanning and uh, says but it's really interesting how Stella can look so calm when she is so guilty and uh, Aisha picks up that uses a mind fairy and Tara starts trying to be chatty again and goes oh like what do you do are you like a memory fairy and uses like no no not a good time Tara perks up because, oh, I can connect with you. Okay, no. Um, Stella's guilty about Bloom's whereabouts. And Stella tries to deflect. And then Tara remembers Bloom was talking to Skye, and Stella did something to the last girl who was talking to Skye. So uh, in order to not have Tara spill the beans, Stella reveals that she lent Bloom her ring. So Bloom could go visit home. But the ring only works outside of the barrier. And there's a gateway to the first world in an old cemetery that's really deep in the woods. Bloom just left her DS at home when she wanted to grab it. <laughs> we are now in the forest. And we see Bloom slip on the ring and press her hand against an old wooden door. 
One that you would assume would be haunted, but this opens up after the ring glows, and Bloom is in an abandoned warehouse. Presumably the same abandoned warehouse where- not even presumably. It's the same abandoned warehouse where she hung out. (laughs) She forgets to close the door, and I'm like, don't be an animal. And we overhear Tara asking Stella if she knows what's out there. When we see a monster-shaped silhouette pass by in the graveyard. So we have some good times coming. So Bloom is back in Gardenia. Gardenia, California. Which is real and, place. And she walks back to her house. Doesn't go inside because it'd be very weird for her to show back up. Like, I thought you were in Switzerland. I thought I was too. How did I get here? Um, anyway, we cut inside her house where Mike and Vanessa are chatting, having dinner. And there's a phone call and Bloom's calling from outside the house. Vanessa is very shocked and happy to be getting a phone call from Bloom, her beloved daughter that she has never abused. Mike picks up saying that he's surprised Bloom is calling twice in one day. And Bloom says she just wanted to check in on them, and Bloom is watching them from an angle outside the house where she's halfway in the shadows, kind of behind a fence, and Mike can pick up from her tone of voice that something's wrong. Bloom lies and says that she's fine, and Vanessa says, it's okay to not be okay. You're only 16. (laughs) A school full of attractive 20-somethings. Full of actors who are visibly in their mid-twenties and use dialogue that is incredibly millennial. Like, Bloom was born in 2004. I... Stella, are you changing clothes? Well, yeah, I need to have a different fit for the outfit. Oh, oh no. Stop right there, Grandma. (laughs) It's totes lit, fam. Stop. <laughs> so maybe get the spray bottle. No. <laughs> so it's the it's the it's the don't talk like a zoomer spray bottle, and it goes <laughs> like the way e girls laugh. And when you fill it with water, it says "and I oop." <laughs> no, that's one of our. That's Jasmine Masters. That's one of ours. Well, she's a Gen um, Xer, but that's one of our beams. Mike quips in with saying he could have never done what Bloom is doing at her age. Because, again, she's in Switzerland and not standing 200 feet away. And Bloom has a very emotional voice crack when she asks, Did I make a mistake by leaving? Vanessa tells Bloom that she's too special to stick around in a gardenia. Which. (sighs) Thanks, Mom. And we get a shot after Vanessa adjusts her arm. Her sleeve rolls down and we see burn scars. Like, third degree burns. She can't feel her arms anymore. Maybe. At the very least, she has some severely... It's very good burn scar makeup. Oh, yeah. 
She tells Bloom that- It's better than Un Nouveau Voyage, where they just slapped a bunch of ham on Hotaru's arms and legs. There was one service dog in the arena, like, what the fuss is that? (laughs) Vanessa tells Bloom very good motherly advice, which wouldn't have rung as hollow if she hadn't been a complete mega bust earlier in the show. I I swear there has to have been some writer's room except at some point. Or maybe after Vanessa had a near-death experience, she realized, maybe my daughter should have her own life. And maybe I shouldn't be awful. Um, she tells Bloom that while she may be going through something rough, she can get through it, and Bloom's path in life is not going to be like either of theirs. This Vanessa, same supportive mom from the cartoon. Bloom's parents tell her that they love her, and Bloom hangs up the phone, And she's like, okay, I've made up my mind. I'm going back to Althea. And it starts to rain. Uh, Bloom uh, walks through the warehouse and she pulls out Stella's ring. But when she starts to put it on, she, she like hears a noise and she gets distracted. So she heads for the warehouse offices where she'd been sleeping. She she actually set up like a little bedroom that looks kind of cozy and nice. And uh, she fetches a notebook where she'd been taking notes on her powers. And apparently she'd been doing like tests because she's fireproof now. And she <laughs> like tried to burn herself with candles. Didn't work. Camping stove. Didn't work. Then she tried a blowtorch and that didn't work. Um... I need to actually rewatch this episode, the episode because I need to see what kind of power strip that was. To see if it was a UK outlet? If a UK, Europe, or America. And also, um, these there are some ghostly whispers saying her name. So this is Daphne, right? I didn't hear that, but I, again, I also watched this before I had to get ready for work. Uh, but yeah, there's like, it's like, like, it's very soft and you can't make out what they're saying at first, but then it's very clearly her name. So, uh, Bloom like peeks through the window behind her and like opens the blinds and wouldn't you know, there's a burned one. It's completely in silhouette, but it, it looks like it has a tail. It was a quick shot. I paused I wasn't able to because I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Ooh, this is interesting. <laughs> I, I watched this episode once just for me and once to, and, uh, again to take notes. <laughs> so I was able to pause the second time around and get a better look at it. But that's why I said they're like lizard, zombie, dragon, charcoal corpses. I noticed the tail, which is why I said xenomorph. So now, uh, are you ready to be in a horror movie for the next few minutes? No, but we're going to anyway. So Bloom drops Stella's ring, which why weren't you just wearing it the whole time? And it falls through a grate in the floor and lands in some, like, service tunnels underneath. So Bloom drops down to hide, and we get that horror movie profile shot where you're pressed against the wall and you're hoping the monster doesn't see you. Uh, And then the music goes silent. And then we get a jump scare where the burned one, like, tries to grab Bloom by, like, busting through the window. 
Damn it, I missed a good joke earlier. Which is? Hey, Mom, did you come in contact with a fae or a gnome or something while you were pregnant with me? (laughs) (laughs) Did you encounter any mysterious little old women who gave you, like, a trinket? And she's like, oh, you'll pay me back later, mysteriously, and then vanished into the mists. Bloom, like, throws open, like... So you know how warehouses have, like, the mesh grate floors that you can just pull up and duck down into? Right. So she goes down there to try and get Stella's ring. But, of course. But, like, it fell, like, beyond another grate, and it's, like, just out of arm's reach. And the burned one gets into the tunnel on the opposite side of this grate, and it starts slamming itself against the grate to get her. And she, like, kicks away and kicks out a grate and gets back into the main part of the warehouse. And Dowling is there. She tells Bloom not to stop running, and she points to the door, which opens back up into the Otherworld Cemetery. And then Dowling starts to fight the monster, but the door shuts so we don't see what she does. So uh, once Bloom gets through the door and slams it shut behind her, uh, Aisha, Musa, and Tara are all there in the cemetery because as soon as they figured out what happened, they, they ran to get Dowling, which props to them, that was the, that was the right move. And uh, Aisha asks if Bloom was okay. Uh, Bloom is very clearly in shock. So she's like, yeah, I'm fine, but what the hell was that thing? And Tara says that she's pretty sure it's called a burned one. Uh, Bloom notices Stella is not there, and she asks where Stella is. And uh, when she's asked, like, why do you care? Like, why do you care where Stella is? You're, you, you just almost got at by a monster. Uh, Bloom says the burned one might have Stella's ring. Oh, no. And that's our scene transition. All right, so we're in the specialist's dorm now. Probably. And Skye is fresh from her shower, and I'm like, hey. Reminding me I like dudes, too. Nothing but a towel, and his hair is still damp. Because we need male fan service in this world. And I approve. So as he walks into his room, Stella is sitting on his bed. How did she get in here? She probably picked the lock. Sky, he, Sky basically, mm. It's, it's really funny. He basically brushes her off. Yeah, you can't be here. And then he starts to try and get dressed. Stella sidles up behind him, puts a hand on his back, and says, I'll be gone before sunrise. And she starts to make some moves. And he jerks away, saying, No, you broke up with me. And now that I've spoken to someone else, you're all handsy. Why are you here? And Stella has a very vulnerable moment saying that she got jealous and ended up doing something very stupid that made my roommates think I'm a monster. You kinda are, babe. You kinda are. And she begs Skye to let her stay in his room tonight because she needs to be around someone who doesn't hate her. Skye 
caresses her face and says that she's better than she thinks she is. But if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love someone else? <laughs> Can I get an amen up in here? Stella goes amen and hugs him. And let the music play. <laughs> this is the beginning of the rest of you. I am American, American. Wait a minute. <laughs> to, 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 to the moon. You're a champion. Great. <laughs> so. <laughs> this is where the episode winds down and we get a bunch of rapid scene cuts of like everybody like finishing out their action for the day so for the first first scene the four girls return to their suite Aisha assures Bloom that Dowling wouldn't leave the burned one in the first world and that her parents are safe Bloom thanks her and goes to bed next scene Riven is in the atrium with a cigarette, presumably just a cigarette this time, because I don't think he's stupid enough to smoke weed inside if he snuck away to do it before. I guess Solaria is uh, not weed legal. And uh, Beatrix walks by with some, like, she's got like tons of books with her. Took the advice and went to the library. She's up late studying, and Riven offers her a drag from his cigarette, and she points out that her hands are full. So he takes a drag from his cigarette and, like, blows it into her mouth. Which, by the way, she, she like, anticipates this. It's not... <laughs> <laughs> you want to you, you wanna smoke? Now my hands are full. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's... it's it's kind of sexy, but it would be sexier if she didn't look 12. <laughs> are you are you legally allowed to do this? Ma'am, are you allowed to smoke? Does your mother know that you're out? Where's your parents? Uh, he asks if she's a first year, and Beatrix does blow the smoke right in his face and says, I'm lots of things. Okay, I... Is this an orphan situation where Beatrix is actually 45 years old and evil? I think she's just an evil teenager. Ah. Hormones. I, I think she's just an evil teenager. I don't think she's she's 75. <laughs> Third cut in, like, what, five minutes? We're in Musa and Tara's room. Tara is watering some plants when Musa lightly jogs in in her jam jams. And flops into bed, puts her headphones on, ready to go to sleep. Has some whale song going on. Tara makes the international sign for please take off your headphones. And Musa's like, what's up? Tara says that she understands Musa wants to listen to her music. But since they'll be stuck together for a while... I stole my brother's speaker so you can still enjoy your music but I can be here with you so you won't be alone. Which I think that was very sweet. If not a bit please like me. Yeah. Musa makes a face not of any malice but just one of those 
like, you don't get it faces. And Tara reads that as aggression and backs off. <laughs> Tara, Tara reads that as be dirt and die trash. <laughs> Fall off your horse. And Tara backs off, upset. I'm sorry, don't want to... I'll be quiet. And Musa opens up a little bit by telling Tara to not get angry at what she's about to say. Tara's like, I'm not. Musa says, I'm an empath. Your anxiety is running crazy right now. I can feel all of your emotions. And it's kind of echoey for me. I have my headphones so I can focus on my own. Musa does say if Tara wants to know how she feels listen to what I'm listening to. So I can't tell if she connects the phone to the speaker because again I'm a tech nerd and I don't know there's no auxiliary cord I'm pretty sure it's not in Bluetooth pairing mode so I'm guessing this is just out of her phone speaker and we get somber indie music. Which continues into the next scene, and honestly... It sure is somber indie music. See, to me, it didn't read as somber. To me, it read as more, like, chill and suspenseful. But that's probably just because of the, the tone Lo-fi of Lo-fi hip-hop beats to sleep to. Basically. Uh, so we go to Dowling's office. And she reveals to him that instead of killing the burned one, she chains it up in a barn outside the barrier. Is she going to interrogate it? What the fuss? Uh, Silva is like, hey, maybe you shouldn't have. Maybe you should have just killed it. And then he asks if she was injured. Uh, and she wasn't. She had Ben brew up a tranquilizing potion. She wants to get inside its head and find out what's going on. Because as a mind fairy, she could probably just do like a mental probe kind of thing. And when Silva asks her to, to clarify... She drops the bomb that she found a changeling in the first world. I wonder who that could be. Silva hasn't heard of one in centuries, but Dowling says that this changeling was left 16 years ago. I wonder who that could be. Around the same time as the last burned one sighting. Uh, she thinks that these are connected incidents, and she is struggling because Rosalind kept a whole lot from them, and she is really worried for the students of Althea, because now it is a very different school from the one that she and Silva went to. Uh, under Dowling's narration, we get some quick digital interactions between characters. Like Dane texts Tara to thank her for earlier that day, and then likes a thought pic on Riven's Instagram. <laughs> And since we can see the username, I looked it up. It is an actual private account with eight posts, two followers, and it is following ten accounts. Uh, Riven sees that Dane liked his picture, laughs before getting into his bed, and sees Stella in skies. And he's like, Sky is like spooning her from the side. Uh, and Dowling in voiceover tells Silva that she does not know how long they'll be able to protect their students from the dangers of the other world. They've known order for so long, they've forgotten what chaos is like. And when Dowling says that they forgot what chaos is like, Silva very ominously replies, they might well learn soon. 
the last scene of the episode shows a robed figure passing through the barrier. They walk to the barn where the burned one is chained up, unconscious, and they start sparking electricity betwixt their hands before using it to wake up the burned one, much like a taser. Because anyone will wake up if you shock them enough, and then they'll die. They then pull their hood off, and it's Beatrix, who says good morning to the burned one before leaving. Boom! Smash cut to credits! So, uh, we have a unanimous best worst in MVP. Uh, my, like, the best, in my opinion, is they did a very good job setting up a sense of intrigue around the burned ones and how Bloom's connected to them. I'm pretty sure it's something to do with the dragon flame because they're, they're lizards as well as fire zombies. (laughs) Oh, it's so cool. Dude, I am, again, like I said earlier, I don't tend to watch, like, this kind of show. Because it's a lot for me to think about. I'm a very simple man. I enjoy simple stuff. I'm into this. I, 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 I We're in agreement about Bloom's mom seat. That first... Oof. Yeah, fuck you, Vanessa. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. They needed... If they needed something for... If they needed something for Bloom and Vanessa to fight about... 16-year-olds fight with their parents all the time. It could have just been bloomed. You left the you left wet laundry in the machine for the 10th time. I'm taking away your iPad for the week. Bloom, your grades are awful and you don't even go out to parties. Something is wrong here. Bloom, you are obviously becoming a shut-in. What the hell? But no, it's... It's it's that weird emotional abuse thing. And our my MVP goes to Tara for choking out Riven. I, I love her. Fuck you, Riven. I, I'm very excited to see where they go with her character moving forward. So, uh, for full transparency, this is the longest recording we've ever done. We're at two hours and 30 minutes because these episodes are 50 minutes long instead of 30 and I don't even think we recorded this long for the stage show. But to be fair, not a lot happened. <laughs> I am invested. Uh, since you plugged the show socials at the top of the episode, uh, for our personals, you can find me, Brendan, at Sonata Waves on Twitter. I was also uh, very happy to recently guest on an episode of The Home for Wayward OCs, a podcast by Christina Woods where I talked about my Common Rider tabletop characters. So uh, if you're interested in Common Rider or hearing about people's tabletop characters, uh, pop on over to Christina's pod and uh, give it a listen. You can follow me, Tess, on Twitter, at Pocky Slice. That is Pocky like a delicious Japanese snack. Slice is in a slice of life. Um, I haven't been on anything. I, I do this. Join us next time when we... Talk about Fate, the Wink Saga, Season 1, Episode 2. No strangers here. Oh, uh, real quick. Oh, fuck. Sorry, uh, it recently got confirmed for Season 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's gonna be a Season 2. Uh, I'll share my thoughts about that next time.
because I, I have a theory. Moving on, <laughs> it's it, it's ten o'clock. Oh god, I need to. I have work tomorrow. Um, meeting adjourned. question yes is moonshine holy water no okay